Hello, everyone, and welcome into this edition of the Sports Detective Podcast. I am your host, James Williams, and today I talk to Eric Kane, who is the host of the Locked On Vols podcast, primarily covering Tennessee Volunteers football. I talked to Eric about this upcoming football season. We talked about, is this Tennessee's best chance to win the SEC since Peyton Manning was in school? What should we expect out of Joe Milton as starting quarterback for Tennessee this season? What are the implications of the recent NCAA sanctions that were levied against the football program? We talk a little bit about Alabama. Is maybe the Nick Saban run over? We touch on that a little bit. We touch on, up on some other SEC stuff. Who is the most annoying SEC team according to the most annoying SEC team? We talk about a lot of college football. Eric's a really good guy. Probably one of the better interviews we've done in a while. So without any further ado, here is my interview with Eric Kane. All right, joining us now is Eric Kane from the Locked On Vols podcast covering Tennessee sports, specifically Tennessee football. Uh, Eric, I wanted to get into like this season coming up, but first, uh, last week we had some sanctions levied against Tennessee football, uh, including an $8 million fine. But I think the big picture thing there that Tennessee fans are very happy about is that they did avoid a bull ban. Can you break down what these you know what these were why they were levied and uh what it really means for the program as a whole yeah james no problem um you know the the biggest thing to realize and and you mentioned it there uh no bowl ban and and tennessee was prepared to go to court uh, you know if they if there was going to get a bowl ban of course they had to go to an incidentally hearing uh for an appeal type situation in cincinnati about 80 this was about 89 days ago in the in the spring this past year to Again, try to relinquish that. But finally, after 30 months and two and a half years, uh, Tennessee has its punishment from the NCAA. And remember, from the notice of allegations, it was 18 level one infractions and over 200 uh, violations overall, uh, which sounds like a lot. And it is a lot. And so this isn't nothing. But the big thing is because Tennessee was so, um, you know, displayed such, such affirmative action, clean house, paid for the investigation. I mean, they paid about $2.1 million hiring an outside firm to come in and just dig inside your program and find every skeleton. And then just on a silver platter said, here you go, NCAA. Here's all, we did all your work for you. You can check it and then decide what our punishment is. Uh, Tennessee gets no bowl ban. And that's the big thing. And and that's what Tennessee was fighting for. So no bowl ban, uh, $8 million fine. And you get a loss of 28 scholarships, which Tennessee has already self-imposed 18. So you just have to go 10 more over the course of five-year probation period. Uh, some more recruiting restrictions like evaluation periods limited, official visits limited, stuff like that. But Tennessee's already been working behind that eight ball with self-imposed stuff for the last two years. So this isn't anything new. Um, again, it's not nothing, but for the common fan, you're not going to feel it. And I think overall, it's kind of wild to say, but I thought it was a pretty pretty good outcome for the University of Tennessee. And now for Josh Heupel, you can completely focus on 2023 and not have this cloud kind of over your program moving forward, especially in recruiting. When a lot of the, excuse me, when a lot of the news for that was coming out and, you know, players are getting paid in McDonald's bags. And even I listened to a podcast you did, I think it might've been yesterday and you had the guest on that was saying, you know, kind of more specific stuff that coaches were having to do. That was kind of like outrageous is the fact that like things are going so well for the program. Now you can look back at that and some of those stories and just laugh, laugh them off a little bit. I mean, I guess it's easier to laugh right now knowing that you just won 11 games, beat Clemson in the Orange Bowl, and 
Um, you should have had a Heisman, you know, finalist in Hendon Hooker. So to your point, uh, it, it's easier to deal with now, um, you know, knowing that Josh Heupel was the right hire and Josh Heupel's a good coach and your program, regardless of which action you took two and a half years ago, if you said, all right, Pruitt's, here's your $12.5 million, your buyout, go away. Who's to say those assistants, those whistleblowers wouldn't have went to the NCAA or to the university president or, or you know, all this could have came back. You know, regardless of, you know, what situation happened, if you hired Tony Elliott or if you hired, you know, somebody else, your program is in a much better spot overall now compared to where you were in January 2021. So, you know, you can look back on it and say, God, I mean, I, I know, like, you know, look, Adam Sparks, Knox News is the guy you're referencing I had on the show, and um, they do a great job of investigative reporting and all that, and they've been working that for a while now. And, you know, reading some of those messages and those emails and just how, blatantly open you know some of these coaches were about cheating it was just mind-boggling to me because i mean i'm not in the business but i feel like you should delete some text messages and not you know do some of those things on on company phones but um it's it's something to go back and look at that but absolutely knowing that tennessee is you know a force in college football right now kind of makes it easier i guess but it wasn't easy back in january of 2021 when tennessee was the laughing stock of college football that's for sure that's what Tom Brady taught us. Break your phone, you won't get punished. <laughs> yeah, something like that, yeah. I think a lot of times with college football, it's really weird when you look at like preseason rankings and stuff, and it makes sense how we do this, where it's like if a team is losing their quarterback from the previous year, we kind of like knock them down a notch, you know, depending what the situation is with the guy that's coming in. And I think a lot of people are doing that with Tennessee because Hendon Hooker was so great uh, last season for – Tennessee and he, he should have been a Heisman finalist I want to get to that a little bit later towards the end uh, but I was listening to you talk about Tennessee and the opportunity that they have this season with um, Joe Milton a guy who again I want to talk about a little bit later but it feels like you think that this could potentially be the best year going into a season that Tennessee has had to actually win the SEC in quite some time uh, can you break down why you feel that way? And uh, maybe the last time Tennessee actually did have a chance to like going into the season, having confidence that they can actually win this very competitive conference. You probably have to go back to, you know, maybe 2016. Um, and, you know, when, when you're going into a season with this much confidence, according to 2016, you know, Tennessee beat Florida, uh, beat Georgia. That was the, the Hail Mary with Josh Dobbs and, uh, you floundered there towards the end, which was unfortunate, losing to South Carolina, losing to Vanderbilt. And, you know, that loss to Vanderbilt uh, kept you out of going to the Sugar Bowl. And so, you know, there was a lot of confidence going into that season. There was some confidence going into 2020, of course, as well, even with the COVID restrictions and all that, because of the way you ended the 2019 season. But um, it is kind of bizarre thinking, you know, having this much confidence going into the season, knowing that you're losing Hidden Hooker, you're losing Jalen Hyatt and Cedric Tillman and Darnell Wright and, and Byron Young on the defensive line. Um, it's just one of those like, okay, they've been there, done that. You've seen this key group of guys win games and play at a high level. And you've seen Heupel and his staff develop talent. And you look back at Josh Heupel's track record, you know, when he's been a play caller and uh, in this league or a head coach and, and really dating back to his time in Oklahoma as the quarterback's coach, he's had all different types of quarterbacks. There's not been one true model quarterback for Josh Heupel. And he has been successful with so many different types of quarterbacks. Um, and, and so who's to say Joe Milton can't be his next one? And, and also having seen Joe Milton play some and play well 
2022 compared to the last time we saw him in 2021, which is the end of the Ole Miss game when he runs out of bounds or uh, those cu- couple starts at the beginning of the season. That gives you more confidence. It looks like he's grown in the offense and he's matured. So um, seeing, you know, kind of been there, done that uh, mentality and, and knowing you're still returning an awful lot, losing some good pieces as well, um, and, and just looking at track record kind of gives Tennessee fans some confidence that um, – no doubt about it, you should finish second in the East. You should, you know, potentially contend to to knock off Georgia in November. And hey, you know, if if things kind of land where you think they could, and you continue to get better as the season goes on, and you don't have a South Carolina type game that trips you up, you know, who knows? Maybe Tennessee could be in Atlanta this year. You mentioned Joe Milton there, and I think a lot of people might know Joe Milton as a guy that very much has like a really big arm, maybe the biggest arm in all of college football. Uh, The only problem is sometimes he can't necessarily control that arm. He probably can lead the league in like, you know, concussions that are forced from a football being inaccurately thrown and hitting somebody in the back of the head. Uh, (laughs) Maybe smashed car windows. He definitely has a big arm, but I was kind of looking at his uh, resume a little bit before we got on and it's not like he has like that much like starting experience really the most starting experience that he had was that weird 2020 season at Michigan and that season was so weird for so many different reasons so maybe there is this thing that maybe that was an outlier and kind of like you know maybe we can just kind of write that off because again go back to that 2020 season for so many different teams there's outliers good and bad for like all over the country so maybe just being in a situation where he, he has a brilliant offensive coach, a system that makes it easier. Uh, what is your confidence level with him heading into this season? Yeah, for Joe Milton, I, I want to see it week after week after week. Um, you know, he played okay against Vanderbilt. Tennessee won like 50 to nothing, you know, ran for over 300 yards. Didn't really have to do anything. Plus the weather was bad. You know, he had some overthrows. Uh, but he looked really good in the Clemson game. But my point being, he, you know, he had to gear up and, and go play Vanderbilt, which, you know, all due respect, is not that big of a challenge. And then you had a month to prepare for Clemson, and he looked good, right? But what does he look like getting ready for Virginia, and then the next week, Austin P, and then the next week going down to Florida? That's my biggest question about Joe Milton this year. So uh, I'm intrigued to see what he can do week after week after week. You know, Joe Milton's an interesting case. Yeah, he was a starting quarterback in Michigan. And if you look at his stats and his game-by-game stats at that 2020 year you're referencing, started out really well. And he was throwing the football a lot and racking up some yards. And then slowly but surely, something changed. I can tell you what something changed. You look at those stats decreasing and getting worse. He broke his thumb. And that's an injury that he really dealt with up until midway point towards the end of the 21 season, even when he was at Tennessee. And again, you come into Tennessee and and uh, he just handed the offense from Josh Heupel. He, he had just had a couple of practices in fall camp. And um, I truly don't think that, you know, he was right. He, he didn't understand the tempo of the offense. He didn't understand the offense and all that. And that's understandable, right? And so whenever he gets hurt and Hinton Hooker comes in and you never look back, it's easy to forget Joe really, in my opinion, didn't have a full chance. And so now this is year three. He knows the offense. He knows why of the offense. He knows the tempo. He sat back and watched Hendon Hooker. Those guys were best friends, roommates. They both had dogs. Um, they were each other's biggest fans and critics. And I think he learned a lot from Hendon Hooker. So there's a lot of confidence about Joe Milton. Um, accuracy is always going to be his, his biggest thing he's got to worry about. And in limited time in 2022, his accuracy was 
the best it's ever been in his career. Um, his QBR and QB rating, best it's ever been in his career. So um, reasons for optimism for Joe Milton. But what's he do week after week after week? And I don't know. You know, We'll find out in about a, you know six weeks or so. Um, but, but that's the biggest thing I'm looking for Joe Milton. I feel like we're being too positive here 10 minutes in. I'm um, getting ready to like throw a, a good amount of my bank account on Tennessee to win the East. Uh, why don't we talk <laughs> about something that uh, maybe is a little bit of a wart from last season. Uh, towards the end of the year, going to play South Carolina, uh, you had the Spencer Rattler assault where he had like flames shooting out of his ass. They dropped 63 on you. What the hell happened in that game? I don't know, man. If you figure it out, let me know. And, you know, maybe I'll let Tennessee know. I, I, it was so bizarre. Um, you know, I was preparing for that game and doing hits and everything in Columbia, South Carolina. And I've got radio hosts down there saying, all right, you know, the spread's 17. I'm going to take Tennessee, though. I just don't think this is going to be close. And I'm like, well, I mean, I don't think it'll be close either. I'm with you. And then South Carolina just comes out there. And, and, and as you mentioned, Rattler just can't miss. I mean, this is. This is the 2021 Spencer Rattler that, you know, won the Heisman before game one, right? I mean, it was incredible. And and Tennessee's secondary is not good last year. I'm not trying to say that it was, but my God, it wasn't that bad. I mean, it was just, it was a horrible game. There were injuries all over the place. Um, it was just one of those games. It was, it was a horrible collapse at one of the, at one of the worst times, because of course you were still very much in the college football playoff picture. So, you know, that defense overall, and again, I keep saying, you know, South Carolina, South Carolina, because it happened, 63 points and all that. You know, overall, the secondary wasn't good. It was one of the worst in the country, actually, but the defense took a step from the 2021 season. It was much better on third downs, much better on fourth downs, much better in the red zone. Uh, didn't give up as many touchdowns, forced more field goals, had more takeaways. Uh, the sacks and TFLs were about on par from the year before, which was a pretty good number, especially tackles for loss. It was one of the, it was over a hundred and I think Tennessee tapped out at like 96, 97 last year. So the defense as a unit took a step. Um, but, but the step in 2023 has got to be, you know, that secondary has got to, got to catch up. And a lot of that is the front four has got to get back and, and disrupt the passer because it's all tied in. And I, you know, when you're evaluating Tennessee's defense, you know, total defense and all that, really even scoring defense, um, for the most part, you got to throw it out the window because Tennessee defense is going to be on the field more than any defense in the country because Tennessee's offense is going to run arguably more plays than, you know, typically anybody in the country. So the total defense and all that's got to, you just got to throw it out the window. You got to look at turnovers. You got to look at limiting points and stuff like that. So I'm intrigued to see what this defense looks like. But that South Carolina game, again, as we as we circle back to that, no clue, man. It was horrible. It was just one of those games where you have no explanation, and uh, it just kind of is what it is, right? I'm glad the that last point you brought up about the defense, where a lot of times offense and defense's stats are related. Like, that's a big thing. Like, I was doing this whole thing where I was kind of looking through all of the teams at the end of last year. And it was really weird to look at like total offense. And you looked at like the Pac-12 schools, for example, like all of them had like top 10 offenses, like like UCLA, USC, Washington, Oregon. But then their defenses were really poor. And then inversely, you look at uh, the Big Ten West and it was like Iowa, Minnesota, um, not necessarily Wisconsin this year. But like those schools had like the best like defenses, but then they also had the worst offenses. So mm -hmm. in a way, like, are they really the best, like, you know, pound for pound defense? Like, no. Are they really the best pound for pound offense? Like, probably no. 
So I'm really glad you brought that point up. And that was the thing I was thinking about to myself a little bit, thinking about Tennessee and where they stand in the SEC. And we know the offense can score on just about anybody except maybe Georgia. But again, no one can do anything on Georgia, uh, at least over the last two years. Uh, what steps have been done and, you know, either personnel wise, coaching wise over the past, you know, this offseason to improve this defense? Because that is a thing that needs to improve, you know, just incrementally if you do want to see Tennessee, you know, competing for a championship. You know, I think now more, you know, this is year three under Josh Heupel. And you know that when he came in in 2021, uh, you know, the the winner. 30 players darted the portal, have been playing behind the eight ball, recruiting restrictions and all that. And I mean, just the numbers weren't there and the quality depth certainly wasn't there. You know, Tennessee now, you know, you're pretty shallow at defensive tackle, but you've got like six linebackers that that you that you feel good about going out there and playing. In 2021, I kid you not, Tennessee played three linebackers. Just three. I mean, that was it. And last year, Tennessee played about four, maybe five on occasion. Um, you know, you got about six, maybe even more that can play this year. You got, again, we go back to the secondary, so much experience in the secondary. So many guys have seen, you know, the, the have got battle scores and all that. You've got to play better. You got to get better. But so many guys have experience. You have so many different options back there. And the defensive line under Rodney Garner, you know, it's it, it's it's going to be a 10 to 12 man rotation anyway. And you brought in quality guys that can rush the passer off the edge who, have, who are long, explosive and again, my point is you've got so much depth and you've got numbers now on the defensive side of the football, whereas especially in year one, you didn't have them. And it's much better from last year, in my opinion. Now, uh, the other side of the coin there is you got to go out and do it. You got to go out and you got to go out and get better and prove that you are a different player and you have gained experience and all that. And, you know, in the secondary, you brought in some reinforcements like Gabe Judy Lolly, who was at Vanderbilt for a little bit. He's a BYU last year. I think he'll, you know, push and contend for. A whole lot of run there at cornerback. You're, you're getting healthier. Some guys who are out for a lot of the last season are going to be back. Um, you bring in Keenan Peely from BYU at linebacker. You bring in Omar Norman Law from Arizona State. And so, I mean, again, you're adding reinforcements and some of these freshmen, you know, coming up like Aaron Carter, Tennessee bid out Alabama for, you know, right before December signing day. He's going to be in that rotation. You know, some of these younger guys pushing the guys who are there right now to, not only get better, but you're to a point now to where, like, yeah, sure, some of those vets may start, but Tennessee was so reluctant in years past to to go get them when they make a mistake because they didn't trust anybody. But you're to a point now to where I don't think you're going to be as hesitant anymore. If a guy makes a mistake, a guy gets beat over the middle with a slant, you're going to have somebody right here and say, all right, go get him, go get him, and not just leave him in there to make that same mistake again. So, again, we'll have to see. Tennessee's defense has got to step up and got to grow up. Um, I think it's in position to, uh, but uh, you know, we'll find out once uh, once the fall gets here. You brought up Alabama a little bit there, beating out a recruit. Saban is getting older. There is a thing that's happened with them, and it's just been happening the whole tenure of Saban there, where coordinators come in and then they leave very fast, mostly because they've been doing a very good job. And last year, and even the last two years, honestly it seems like they have been a little bit more like their defense doesn't seem as unstoppable as it used to be. And that's not just from the, you know, Tennessee scoring 52 or whatever on them last year. It seems like there are some like, you know, chinks in the armor. They're still very good. Still have a lot of talent. Even the offense last year just kind of fell off a little bit with, um, uh, with a new coordinator. 
I'm kind of curious what you and maybe some other people in the SEC are thinking about at Alabama heading into this year and what, you know, we're just thinking about that program in general. Cause I think it's fair to say that like when Saban leaves, it might just take them a few, like, I don't think they're going to keep the, the train rolling as fast as they are right now. So I kind of threw a lot at you there. Just basically, what are your thoughts about Alabama heading in this year and even the next few years? Well, it's funny. You, you can say all that about Alabama, and you know, I agree with you know a whole lot of what you said. But obviously, like you look at Georgia, anybody been stacked up against Georgia the last couple of years, it's like, oh, that team sucks because <laughs> Georgia was just so good. Um, I think Alabama was slow at linebacker last year, which is something that's not really been you know the, you know under Nick Saban. Um, I thought they were slow at linebacker, and they weren't as athletic in the back end. Um, you know, just seeing. Jalen Hot run by these guys and split the safety in the corner, the safety in the nickel back, you know, four times uh, in that game. And of course, Jalen Hyatt's a tremendous talent, but you know, we'll see. I think, you know, Bryce Young was so good, and that's not breaking any news. I think Alabama last year would have lost three, four, th- you know, three more games without Bryce Young. I mean, he's the only reason, you know, that game with Tennessee was so close. He was so good. And he was playing at like 65% too. We didn't know if he's going to play in that game. Um, but he, he's really good. Of course, he's gone now. And, and it's it's interesting because they're in a situation where you got Jalen Milrow, who's very much an athlete and can do a whole lot of things. But, you know, how good of a quarterback is he? You got Ty Simpson coming back. He's going to be a redshirt freshman. You know, what's he look like? You've got, of course, bringing in Tyler Buckner, you know, reuniting with Tommy Reese from Notre Dame. That makes a whole lot of sense. Um, will Alabama go back for the first time to being mediocre at quarterback, being a great running team, and playing great defense and winning that way? I think that's what we're going to see in 2023. Um, Alabama brought in arguably its best recruiting class just now under Nick Saban of his entire tenure. There's still good players on that team, quality depth and everything. And the point is – is your quarterback going to beat you this year? I think Alabama can win a whole lot of games if your quarterback doesn't beat you. I think your quarterback can play, be a game manager, and you can go win a whole lot of games. So um, it's going to be a little bit different looking Alabama team this year because you don't have a true all-star, a true all-American type quarterback um, because there's not one on the roster right now in Tuscaloosa. I I could go more on that, but we don't have too much time left. Uh, I'm going to, since your first time on, you're speaking for the entire Tennessee fan base and the program as a general. No pressure, right? <laughs> yeah. In the program as a whole, I typically ask like just a few just general questions, uh, just kind of getting a vibe of like, you know, how how you maybe feel towards other fan bases and how other fan bases maybe feel towards you. Uh, I always have this question I ask people. It's like, what's the most annoying school in conference blank? And I think a lot of people actually what uh, from the SEC that I've had on have been saying Tennessee. And so now I think it's very interesting now that I have a, a Tennessee person on and I want your opinion on who is the most annoying school in the SEC. 100% other schools will say Tennessee <laughs> and rightfully so. So that doesn't surprise me at all. Um, just depends on the week, man. It really does. I mean, Georgia fans are, Oh, they're, they're, they're something. And they've been something the last couple of years, obviously, with all the success down there. I would probably say Georgia. Depends on the sport. You know, t- college baseball is getting so popular. I know we're talking college football right now, but, you know, Tennessee fans are going at it with Arkansas fans and LSU fans all the time. Uh, Tennessee fans obviously don't like Florida, but for this conversation, I'll probably say Georgia. I think with Florida recently, it feels like every year they like, 
I don't know. They, they're kind of confusing me recently because they're like, Dan Mullen wasn't recruiting talent. And then I was looking at their offense, like all these guys that are getting drafted. I'm like, Dan Mullen brought all these guys in <laughs> and, and you guys are saying yeah. that he sucked. And that's just a weird thing with me. And now they're like, they're praising Billy Napier. But I know like week four, they're going to be like, they want him canned. So they're they're a weird bunch. It's going to be a unique year for Billy Napier down there in Gainesville. He's uh, It's not a finished product, obviously, but it's going to be tough sledding, in my opinion, this year. Um, but you got to take a step in the right direction because you're right. He is recruiting very well, but you got to show you can develop that like he did at Louisiana. Another uh, question that I like to ask everybody is, I'll bring up the Iowa State example. Uh, there was for a stretch there where for like a 10-year stretch where we just could not beat Kansas State talent level around the same Kansas state, obviously better program, usually better coached, but for whatever reason we would be playing them like toe to toe and just could not beat them. They weren't blowing us out all the time, but we just always struggled against them. Is there a certain school that you guys always play that like maybe people on the outside look like, Oh, Tennessee should be able to handle them or that game might not be close. Uh, but you, you as a fan are looking at that game. You're like, Oh no, no, no. We know these guys, these guys always play us tough. Is there a team like that? Florida, hundred percent. Really? I mean, Alabama's. You know, Tennessee snapped a fifteen-game losing skid to Alabama this past year, but you know, Alabama's been up here. Mm-hmm. Tennessee's been down here for much of the last fifteen years. So, um, but Florida, Florida's had some highs and lows as well. There's been some bad Florida teams, and for some reason, Florida just has Tennessee's number. Tennessee won last year over Florida for the first time since 2016. Before that, I think I think Florida won like 13 straight. Tennessee hasn't won down in Gainesville since I believe '03. I mean, it, it's this, this rivalry, which you know, my demo. You know, it depends on which Tennessee demo you ask. Who the biggest rivalry rivalry is? A lot of old timers would say Vanderbilt, you know, or Alabama. Uh, my demo would probably say Florida, but Florida's owned this rivalry. Um, and and a lot of times, Florida's, Florida's teams have not been very good, and they just you know find a break at the end of a game or. You know, there's a late interception or a fumble recovery or whatever. So uh, I would probably have to say Florida for sure. You know, Tennessee obviously got the win last year. So um, that's why this game is so important for Tennessee in week three, going to the swamp, going to Florida, because it's going to be a tone setter for the season. Florida's down this year. I don't think Florida's very good, but you're playing somewhere where you just don't win. And so that that is a huge game for Tennessee, uh, really the first month of the season. Yeah, Florida's got a really tough start because they play Utah to start again, this time at Utah, then they're playing you guys. It's going to be a very interesting year to see Florida. Um, this will be the last question I ask you, and then we'll get out of here. Um, another thing I like to ask people about is because I like food, and I think sometimes we don't necessarily know the different cuisines all around the country. Is there any specific like Tennessee cuisine, food, rep- types of restaurant? maybe in Knoxville that uh, maybe you can't get anywhere else around the country? Um, I mean, there's a little bit of everything in Knoxville. I mean, it's not like, you know, Cajun or it's not like, you know. Or even just uh, Tennessee like in that. general. Um, There is, you know, barbecue is really, really good in Knoxville. Uh, Calhoun's on the river, you know, right is down the river. Is it different than England's. like Memphis barbecue? Uh, pro- Memphis barbecue is probably better, <laughs> to be honest. <laughs> Um, I don't know. There's not, there's nothing really that, you know, there's, there's nothing unique, I guess. There's just a little bit of everything. I mean, it's good. You come down here to yield steakhouse on Chapman highway. And I think it's one of the best steakhouses in America. It's just, it's one of those kind of hold the walls, but you walk in, it's like Tennessee memorabilia everywhere and Peyton Manning picture here. And 
you know, Reggie White signed autograph over here. It's just really, really cool. And the food is incredible. Um, I don't think there's anything specific that Knoxville is known for food wise. Of course, you know, up there in Newport, that's where you get the moonshine and you know, the Smoky <laughs> Mountains. Uh, but you get a little bit of everything. And there, there's there's a lot of great places to come in for, you know, to eat on, on a game day weekend. What about even just like things that you guys will make for like a Thanksgiving or something? Anything special? So something weird that we do in Iowa is uh, that if I tell people from out of the state, they kind of like look at me like I have two heads growing out of my head is uh, a few Thanksgivings, you know, in my lifetime, my aunts made me ham balls. Interesting. Basically yeah. a ball uh, of ham. <laughs> yeah. Um, we have deviled eggs down here. That's big. Um, okay. We do stuffing. Now, do you guys put the stuffing in the turkey or is it something different? Uh, my family doesn't, but I'm sure other people up here do. A lot of people in Tennessee put the stuffing in the turkey. I don't, but a lot of people truly do, you know, treat it like stuffing. Uh, a lot of people think cranberry salad is a salad and it's not, it's fruit. Um, probably deviled eggs is the big thing. You'll be surprised. A lot of people up North just don't even know what a deviled egg is. Oh, wow. Okay. I mean, yeah. I'm going to have to come down to Tennessee and get some deviled eggs sometime then. Yeah. Yeah. They're good. Come on down. <laughs> All right, perfect. This has been a really good interview, Eric. Do you want to tell us where we can uh, find all of your great work and uh, we'll get out of here? Yeah, anything more uh, that you want to know about Tennessee, you know, now or throughout the season, you can follow me on Twitter at underscore Kaner. Uh, Listen to my podcast, Locked on Vols, every weekday, wherever you get your podcasts, and uh, follow my work, ballquest.com. All right, perfect. Thanks, man. Thank you. Okay, that is going to do it for the podcast today. Thanks again to Eric Kane. Thanks for all of the guests that came on the show this week. Make sure you check out all of their work. Uh, make sure you subscribe to the Sports Detective Podcast on whatever podcast listening service you are listening to this on. Um, follow me on Twitter and Instagram, JDMajor2, and JWS on Instagram. And uh, we are probably going to have a few more interviews next week as we are gearing up for the college football season. Not sure if they will all be college football. I may try and do one solo one before the weekend ends, so make sure you stay tuned to the podcast feed for that. And uh, as always, guys, I will see you next time.